0: When I was data mining you guys on LinkedIn,
1: you were data uh, mining us. That I saw that bit on the email. I was laughing, I was, laughing. Uh, I was like, like, "That's so cool." I, I can't.
0: yeah, I mean, LinkedIn unearthed uh, a wealth of people and information, and it uh, the
1: one about the five people. I didn't get it. So what I'm connected to? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when i was looking at former figt conference lists and and looking you guys up on linkedin and finding who those of you who have you know brought your experiences as tck's into the professional sphere i noticed there's five people who almost if i take those five people they're connected to almost everybody that was ever invited to an figt conference
1: <laughs> yeah. are you joking
0: no no and you're one of them yeah so you're probably in maybe second place, I think. Are you Thir- joking? Third place. No.
1: I did not realize that.
0: And then uh, Jarina, Jer- what's her from? Is she from Spain?
1: Oh, Karina no, Karina, yeah.
0: yeah. I'm the one who
1: brought her into the fold. She's, she's just number saying. one,
0: actually. She's number one by she far. Is, she I'm she the beats. one who
1: brought her into the fold. I need to rectify that. Yeah. That is not working. <laughs> no, I'm just joking.
0: <laughs> she's just she's joking. number one. Welcome to my TCK podcast, where we answer ridiculous questions like, where are you from? For all my American listeners, you are about 37% of my listening audience. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you survived those awkward conversations with extended family for another year. I do apologize for not getting the podcast out. On Thursday, as intended, we had exam week here in Turkey. No Thanksgiving for us. And that is right. We call the country Turkey. (laughs) Not after the feathery friend that we eat every Thanksgiving in America. I spent my Thursday doing five hours of speaking exams. God bless me. For all the new listeners out there, thank you for joining us. For all the faithful listeners, the casual listeners, the curious listeners, thank you. The podcast cruised by 1,000 listens. We have over 100 followers. I think we're on to something here. Please, if you have any feedback whatsoever or just want to connect, by all means, my contact information is always in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in, of course. I'm forever grateful for your support. A podcast is nothing without listeners. Today, I have Rhoda Bangurter as my guest. She is a life coach and trainer. She is the author of Holding the Fort Abroad. She is the progenitor of the Expat Couples Summit and the host of the Holding the Fort Abroad podcast specifically for expats with traveling partners. Of course, the links to her website and contact information are also in the show notes. Let's listen in on our wonderful conversation. Yeah, so Rhoda, thank you. Um, and I have to apologize, but how do you say your last name?
1: Oh, it's Bangutter. I say that, I pronounce it that way in English, in English, but I cannot pronounce it correctly in Swiss German. I I I just I can not it's, Oh, it's, it's, so you it's can't Bang-
0: pronounce... Bangerter
1: Bangerter in Swiss German, but people go uh eh? and, yeah. and then Bangerter in English and then Bongerter in French.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't know, it So there's a
1: good start already for your podcast episode It's <laughs> yeah. like how do you pronounce your last name? Well, depends on which language you're talking about.
0: Awesome. Uh but yeah, wrote good morning and thank you of course for for coming on. I find it kind of funny that I'm pointing out how famous you are because it doesn't seem like you're aware. Uh, but, um, let me Definitely first... not. No. <laughs> let
1: me <laughs> but first... thank you for having me really. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited and it's been lovely to get to know you and, and meet you through this. Mm. So,
0: of course, I always start every podcast out by, um, because the podcast name, um, mm. obviously is where are you from and other ridiculous questions. So I, I always ask, uh, the ridiculous question first. So, um, Rhoda, where, where are you from?
1: Oh my word. <laughs> it's a tricky answer. Mm-hmm. And I always feel bad for people because I give them the long answer, and then they never remember the pieces, and then they got to ask me again, and they feel bad, and then I feel bad. I'm like, no, it's fine. Um, so, <laughs> so I'll give you the long answer. And my, where I come from, the answer always goes back to where my parents are from. Mm-hmm. So my my mom is from the Middle East, from two different countries. And my dad was British. He was Welsh, to be precise. He was mm-hmm. very specific about being Welsh. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they met in Lebanon, lived in Beirut for a while. When the civil war started, uh, I was one year old. Wow. And uh, so I was born during, and you know, an intermission, or however you call it, in a pause in the bombings. Mm-hmm. I think my mom was pretty stressed during pregnancy. I can, I think that's putting it mildly. Mm. And then, uh, so they decided that it was time to to leave Lebanon. And um, for various reasons, they moved to France, in the south of France. And so I was one, and I left the south of France. I was 21 years old. So I did all my education in the French system. And then I moved, I did Erasmus, went to Scotland for a year in my early 20s and then went back down to um, the south of England and then married a Swiss. So <laughs> does that answer the question, where are you from? I'm, yeah. never, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we've all boiled it down in, in some, you know, shape or form and we're all well-practiced and now we, we tell this story. So what is it like growing up in... Well, I would say mostly in a bicultural home in France.
1: Yeah. It was, well, you know, I always felt different. And I always kind of wish, even now, like I wish sometimes I would know what it's like to just have parents from somewhere and to be from there. Mm -hmm. Just can I please just know what it's like to go to school and then come home and not have to explain different things, not have to, you know, switch to to the to the to whatever's going on at home, and feel like when I go to school, then people think I'm weird because mm-hmm. I'm referencing different things. Or, but at the same time, I mean, it was it was it was pretty amazing because uh, I came home from school. You open the door, and you've got Middle Eastern music, Middle Eastern food, which is amazing.
0: Mm-hmm, it is um, indeed.
1: You know, Middle Eastern hospitality as well. The house Indeed. was always guest ready. People would drop in. They would always be welcome. There would always be plenty of food, plenty of sit down, have coffee, you know. Mm-hmm. So there were always people around, very community-based and um, neighbors. And, and and my mom struggled a little bit when, when people didn't reciprocate. It wasn't part of the general culture. We were the minority doing that. And and so I saw her struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Now, why why are people so selfish? And they, they don't, she just didn't get that it was just a different, different cultural society. approach, different yes. way of doing. And they had their family, you know, all the ramifications of the families. So, you know, cousins, right. second cousins, third cousins, aunts, it, uncles, and everything. Yes. And they had all the, net, the family network, which we didn't have. hmm Uh, But but then, you know, so we would have a French salad for a starter, a a Lebanese main, and then a a British pudding, typically. (laughs) (laughs) And then my dad would have, my dad would have the Welsh male choirs going on. And so it was, it was just this really natural mixture in yes. a sense, it was natural because it was all just different mm. parts of what my parents valued and what they want what they liked mm-hmm. just all meshed together and my my dad's book Arabic, so you know they had a lot of overlap as well yes. in in each other's world so and it just came out my mum grew up in an American school, mm-hmm. so her english you know she 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 could bridge different cultures as well, but yeah, it was definitely a mix
0: I am. Part of a bicultural relationship, I have four children, and you had mentioned the cultural conflict between your parents and and so I'd kind of like to know a little bit more about that. How did that impact you growing up?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning, and I think it's only like in the in the last say i'd say f- five years when I got a a life coach. Uh, and, and I realized like, oh my word, I'm so multicultural. Like I knew it
0: and Your I can reel off my, it. sorry. Your website says
1: it. Well, exactly. My website <laughs> says it. And, and I knew it and I can reel off like all the places like that have been part of my life and all the different cultures, but I, I hadn't, like it hadn't sunk in and mostly what it hadn't sunk in was was um, the differences in behaviors and beliefs and values from mm-hmm. these different regions of the world and just how my parents grew up very differently and so I started looking into you know all the cultural cross-cultural communication and Edward Hall and, and, and Aaron Meyer and the culture map and that's when I realized that you can you know you you, you can understand culture to a certain level yes the greetings and the food and but also so much deeper than that in terms of like values and com- you know collectivist or individualist societies and mm-hmm. and how you persuade people and how you what's important in terms of task or people and 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 also because the coach made me do a values you know she brings out the list yeah. of values what are your values and I realized oh I grew up with conflicting values yeah I grew up with so my parents never Got to that point where they could understand, oh, like, so my mom valued collectivism. You know, it was very, she mm-hmm. valued community. Yes. Up to this day, she said to me the other day, like, oh, if you don't dress well, you're not respected. Mm-hmm. Um. She will not do things because of what people will say.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think it goes collective. beyond,
1: I think yeah. it goes beyond the people pleasing. It's really like, this is not done in this community.
0: Right, no, I I'm from the <clears throat> Far East, so yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> just, it's similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it was like my dad was ill a, a few years ago. He had cancer; it was terminal. And we said to Alyssa, "Now's a go back to see your sister. You know, now's a really good opportunity." Just, just it was just like he was okay, and he was like uh, he was he was about to really, you know, we knew that there was a, a window of about a week. And we said no, just just go see your sister. We'll hold the fort. <laughs> we'll Easy. kind of we'll 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 be here. You've got a week. He's he's good. He's stable. We're good. We're good. Go. No, do that. And my sister and I get so because we grew up in we grew up in, in a European right, context, in yep. and and she's always been the one uh, in our family. She's been the odd one out, the one that's <laughs> not understood, the one that's not um, um, that they can't express what's really important to her and and get it. And I I feel a bit, I feel bad now about it. Mm. But really it was three against one in the conflict because we, without knowing it, we lined up with my dad's values. Then it was, she was trying to get her values in and it didn't quite work. And language comes into that. You know, the English was her second language and we were all speaking English. They chose that to speak English because um, at the time, they were worried that with three languages, it would be too, too much. Um, and we'd just come out of the civil war. So my brother was older. He was pretty traumatized. And yes. they kind of decided, you know what, it's better to just have English and the French in school and we'll leave the Arabic out. And I, now I regret it because I wish that I would, we can't communicate with her family
0: mm-hmm. because they don't
1: speak English and we don't speak Arabic. And she never you know when she speaks Arabic, she changes personality completely.
0: Mm-hmm. She's just
1: a different person. Yeah. And um, so I think that was also part sometimes of the conflicts growing up.)
0: Yeah, I I can resonate. Just thinking about the dynamics in the home, what language my children choose to speak, what significance it plays. The very hard, and this kind of leads into our our later discussion about what you do now. But you know, my decision to allow my family to stay in one place and be submerged in in my wife's culture. Uh, so in a way. I'm really glad you, you you talked about that because I feel like possibly I am might be making the right decisions in some way, you know. Mm. Um, but, of course, there's trade-offs in everything, right?
1: Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah. I, I think the I was in a workshop the other day about intercultural couples, and one of the exercises they got us to do, this was um, a couple of cultures. They're on Instagram. Mm-hmm. They, ha- they have a lot of content. And um, one of the exercises they got us to do was, like, think about your culture your culture and three values you want to share with your children and mm-hmm. then think of your partner's values and uh, and cultural, um, anything cultural from them that you want your children to have and then mm-hmm. see how you can put yours and them. So I think this combination of – and we did it as an exercise as a family where we looked at the list of values mm-hmm. and, and we each uh, narrowed it down to three. So our two boys who are now teens – and my husband and i and it 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 does help in understanding what's important to the other person mm-hmm. and why they're so adamant that you need to do this or you need to do that or this has to be part of our family or you need to raise the kids in this you know the like excellence and loyalty and all these different ones and for me it, right. you know it's generosity and but it, it really it's helped us a lot in because they can also be cultural values and, yeah. and um, kind of brings it a little bit more explicitly rather mm-hmm. than having these conflicts and you never really can put your finger on them, but you know, you disagree. Yeah, <laughs> And that <laughs> what, that's, what, that's what gets to me when people say, oh, you need to communicate more. And I'm like, well, we're oh. communicating. We're talking all the time to each other, right. but we're completely missing each other's understanding and, and we still conf- we're still in conflict. And I think yeah. that's the secret.
0: So so that brings me to kind of the second part of this is that so now that you're in a cross cultural relationship like like I am and you have children and so how has watching your parents then helped you now? Because as you said, and, and you said something that I experience all the time and I'm so used to <laughs> and you know, my wife and I are fine. You know, we're we're okay with missing each other at this point. So how how has that helped you? How has watching your parents helped you mitigate conflict with your your husband?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, it's kind of thinking, well, what do I want and what do I not want?
0: <laughs> right. No, well, that's that doesn't mean w- that they helped you as in they're like, here, do this. They may have been, yeah. don't do that, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it often I, or, has.
0: Or I will never do fill in the exactly. right? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's often as we uh, how we go. Huh? It's like I I want to do this like my parents, so I want to do this completely yeah. different than my parents, and then our kids will do the same. Um, but yeah. um, I think I love the way they blended their worlds. Okay. So for me, it was a natural thing to do. It wasn't something. Yeah, so. Yeah, you know right. how families like when you marry someone from another culture. Sometimes they get a bit worried. Extended family, I mean. Yeah. Uh, and we had a little bit of that um, in my direction, as in his Swiss family. We're like, Ooh, "Who's this woman from outside you're marrying?" You know. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I think for me, it wasn't like a. At the beginning, it wasn't a big deal. It's only when we got to these bits where there was conflict and it was like, well, what's going on? Why, 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 why are we hitting this wall? And what is it? And so, and I think I also love, I mean, they had values in common and I think that kept them together. Mm-hmm. So there were people of deep faith that was, yes. you know, their faith was very important to both of them. Mm-hmm. So, and they had a common faith. So that held them together, I think. And, um, we have that as well. hmm Um and I think but then I didn't want the conflict piece. Right. And um and I think it was just a sheer miracle I landed on the cultural bit, really. Oh okay. I think it was just it was just that I kind of started to scratch it and kind of start investigating it. Um that I realized that what I'd been seeing as a child was probably personality, but but probably in in big part cultural.
0: Yeah. So that's always been my question in the silence or in the turmoil, whatever it is, where I'm sitting there thinking, okay, my wife and I, we're not, you know, she's suddenly shut down. She's not talking to me. She's treating me like a stranger. I've done something horribly wrong. Uh, Is this because this is a stupid husband mistake? Is this because our cultural values which which one is it am I dealing with right now and and having to sort that out is it's not always easy um, no,
1: and I think that's where the beauty what you of
0: change you know yeah. do you change it you know
1: yeah, and I think the beauty <laughs> of having both both elements and bringing them together means that you don't have to sort it out. It means right. that you have you know your your if you've got the if you got an understanding of the cultural piece and and keep learning on that. And keep um, understanding your partner's cultural and family upbringing and your mm-hmm. own, and then you've got all the, the 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 usual, you know, couple thing and the personalities as well. And once you bring all, and you're like, oh, it doesn't matter actually where it comes from because it's probably a mixture of both, and mm-hmm. and you're probably you are who you are anyway, and it's all intertwined between your personality and your culture. And so, mm-hmm. I, I think then then I think it makes it for me that de- definitely for us it was the magic and we're still learning. We're in of this course. process. He he's, he's intercultural true in a, in, in a way, because he's from the French speaking part of Switzerland, but mm. he, that's where he grew up. But his dad was, um, no, his mom from, was from Zurich. So the different parts of Switzerland can be very different from each other culturally. Interesting. And so she had come down as a, as a, for work experience and had learned French. And then she met um, his Olivier's dad, my husband's dad, and they got married and stayed in in the French speaking. So to to extent he's intercultural, cross cultural, but he really has a sense of who he is, and a sense of identity, and a sense of maybe it's also partly just who he is. But he he can decide quickly on things. And I didn't know who I was. I mm-hmm. I didn't you know I had all these different like values, like messing yeah. around with like <laughs> yeah. all like one day, you know, one day I can be more, more individualistic. The next day I could be more collective you know, I, yeah. and, and kind of, I, I, you know, on those, on the Aaron Myers spectrums, I could, like in any one day I could be on that, yeah. like, any, any part of that spectrum because, yeah. because of the places I, you know, because of the influences I've had. And so I had to kind of reverse engineer, kind of I don't know how to explain it but I had to kind of go and say okay so what what's what's culturally relevant for the Welsh people for his family for my dad's you know what was her, what was for my mum's side what's what's customary what's I mean I didn't I obviously I don't know everything about each one but I I got enough that it mm. fed into my sense of identity and now I feel like there's two things I do now is one I know that as a person I need to process verbally Before I go to my husband. So I usually ask someone to be my sounding board and say, okay. And then, oh, okay. (laughs) I know like what's important to me. So now we talk and sometimes I do it with my husband, but then, and and we're better as well. It's like before he used to say like, oh, I thought we'd reached a decision. And I'm like, no, that was just me brainstorming. So now we also know better that, you know, when yeah. I verbally process, he knows that I haven't reached a decision, that it was just for me to get to a point where I'm like, okay, now I know. So now we can get to the point where we can actually discuss the issue. Yeah. And that took us a while to get to.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, we're, we're on that train. Yeah. <laughs> we're so on that train. Oh, yes. Have uh, you spoken
1: about this before? Has it come up as a topic in your podcasts? Nope,
0: nope, no, No? No, this, okay. is, this is rich, Uh, you know. Um. Anyway, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. I mean, we we sit. We my wife has her sounding board over here, uh, and then her friends just tell her and remind her, you know, what she has, what she doesn't have, you know, and <laughs> and then yeah. you know, on on my side, you know, I call my parents or I you know, talk to a, a close friend or yeah, you know, and we just we we ha- I have to sound it out um before I say something extremely unloving or yeah or sound. Basically some Western norms just sound extremely insensitive to a Philippine, a Filipino's ears.
1: That's such an um, interesting like element an to bring in.
0: Thing. Like, um, so how much did you spend on that? Or well how much money do you need? Like uh that's probably a better one. How much so how much did you need for that? You know, that's such a normal question, I think, among, you know, a Western couple and that question sounding however it sounds in English to her uh you know comes in and is like my husband doesn't trust me yeah um you know we're not equal yeah. partners uh yeah. we are it would never you
1: know... occur to you that that's what she's thinking
0: <laughs> well I, I spent the first two years of my marriage banging my head into a wall so you know it was it was pretty terrible So,
1: how did you discover <laughs> it then I'm interviewing you now <laughs> no I know but
0: uh no it's good um that's a good question. How did we discover it? Eventually, let's well, just stop saying those things because of the reaction, um, and then I'm just talking to other people saying, "How in the world do we work, negotiate this financial end without the details? How is it that Filipinos don't? They only work on nuance and no details. It's so fascinating to me, and it 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 informs their whole financial structure. So some of my nerdiness, you know, and and I think you said it reverse engineering of their background, how they grew up, the values. You know what? I mean, I could say it in one thing. I love my wife and and she's yeah. a wonderful person and she's worth figuring out, you know, and and Aww. I think I think that's that's at the end of the day it was worth the time and effort to say, "Hey, our family unit is important." Um so I'm going to Stop saying this stuff, and then figure it out along the way. You know,
1: yeah, which yeah. Which is kind of, which is s- such a gift to your marriage still and to your art. but you know, and which is such a gift to your marriage and to your to yourself <laughs> and to your wife, right? To be able to say, okay, yeah. I'm going to take the time to 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 figure it out. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes I'm still triggered, and I don't know why, and I've got to go back and figure <laughs> out. Well, well, what was it? Was it? Yeah, is it a marriage communication thing? Is it a cultural thing? Is it, but we, I mean, we we we've been married eighteen years, working on it for like twenty, and and it, it does get better in in the understanding and giving each other grace yeah. as well, and and mm. with the you know with the brainstorming thing, I just wanted to add, like it's it's not about criticizing our partners to somebody else or like exposing intimate <laughs> details. It's about <laughs> having a space. Yes. To just kind of put everything flat and say, okay, I have this, I have this, is this. Okay, well, which bits are important? Right. Especially, I think, when you're in a culturally complex environment. Yes. Um, I met this Chinese couple in America when we were living in New York, and they were parenting us, their child, and they said, we never used to second guess ourselves when we were living in, you know, in our community in China where we grew up. Mm-hmm. Right. We never questioned it because everybody else did that and that was just the way we did it. Right. As soon as you start, you know, moving and going different places and maybe you're with someone who's grown up very differently from you, suddenly, you know, so much more is, yes. is open for discussion. And yeah. why, why do you want to do it that way? And that's not right. how I want to do it. And then I said, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, definitely. 100%.
1: Imagine for a child that would have that, let's say, behavior or belief about the money. So yeah. not being a, okay, but that child grows up, marries someone who's also a um, European and mm-hmm. lives in a country, say, Latin America. Yeah. So they're completely out of the Filipino culture. But <laughs> yeah. that piece has come through and is like, how does that person discover that that's the piece? That's come through maybe one one or two generations in the family. Yes. And that their partner doesn't understand because and they might not even understand it themselves because they don't know where this has come from. They just know that right. this is something that but because they're not part of the majority culture, it might not be as obvious.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean that's that's the essence of my podcast, the essence of us as as TCKs. <laughs> We have yep. no idea where this is coming from. You know, where's the angst? You know, all we feel is emotions or shame or Yes or joy or or, or relief. I mean, when I moved to Asia, um I had I had worked in London, uh, in the US Navy for a while, and then I was on a ship for five and a half years with Americans. And then when I moved to Asia, there was a really weird sensation that I couldn't put my finger on and didn't realize that I I was coming home. <sighs> Yeah. you
1: grew up there.
0: Because I grew up in Asia.
1: Oh, my I, I you know, would.
0: Yeah, and I, it's funny because I, you know, I was a young man. I was single. I, I had a fascination. I, I had a British girlfriend and I, uh, I had dates with Eastern European women. And I was in London, you know, I was in London. And so, you know, my mind was in this direction. I was not fascinated with Asia. I didn't care about Asia and then I'll never forget. I was sitting on the plane and just looking around and there was just this weird sensation. And then when I got to Singapore to work, the community around me, I suddenly just felt extremely at home.
1: So you yep. just felt your body relax?
0: Yeah. It was, yeah. A, it was the strangest thing. I just felt yeah. really, really at home. And, yeah.
1: Um, There's something about just not second guessing yourself as much.
0: Yeah, that's right the values suddenly made sense. But I, again, like you said, I couldn't put my finger on what was going on. It's a journey for me uh, to, to extract all that and realize why am I always making European Americans angry? Why am I always, <laughs> why, am I always making these? why don't I get along with this particular group or this segment? What is it that I'm saying or doing or being that is- you
1: know, um that's a very you know, good I, point. There's so much self awareness that comes yeah. from out of this it's, it's it's really it's it's i think it's the the in the journey inwards mm-hmm. that needs to that probably i mean I don't know which one people would start with, but you you know it's either a journey inwards where you're trying to understand why on earth am I like acting as I am yes, and then there's the journey outwards where it's like okay what how does that interact then with the world and how do people right. react to me? And and, and and I think siblings choose different countries because that's where they feel the most comfortable. And yes. you know, England for me was the closest to what I felt culturally. And it's interesting. Now we're in Bishkek mm. in Kyrgyzstan. Mm-hmm. I feel very relaxed. Mm. And it's, it's, I think, culturally and the way, you know, the way that hospitality works here, the way, I'm not second guessing myself. Mm. Hardly ever.
0: That's nice. That's interesting. And it's
1: it's you I can feel my body relaxing.
0: Nice. That's very interesting. Um I have one more bicultural uh or in this case biracial uh thing to talk about and um you talked about growing up and being a bit self-conscious about how you feel like you're not placed in the yeah. physical world. Can you tell me can you unpack that a little bit?
1: Yes, yes. So somebody said a comment to me at the chiang mai conference yes and they at the for the third culture kids uh, conference and somebody said to me like oh, I, I can't place you by the way you look right and usually people say to me i can't place your accent All right. and this was the first time ever that someone mentioned like that they can't place me from the way that i look mm-hmm. and it really kind of stopped me in my tracks because my appearance is something I've struggled with for years. And maybe, you know, maybe a lot of women struggle with appearance a lot. Maybe there's a lot of people struggle with appearance. I maybe, yeah. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm not that. But I suddenly thought that this was an interesting element I had not considered. And it had come up uh, about 20, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I went to Lebanon. And, and mm-hmm. when I landed in Beirut airport, I suddenly looked around and I thought, oh, I look like everybody here, like a lot of the women here, they would think I'm from here if they saw me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first time that had happened. And I mm-hmm. realized that growing up, you know, pe- well, was, I'll say it; it's a bit raw for me, but people would say like, you're ugly and you're, you know, and I would get that in my face. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I, I, I believe it. I believe it to this day. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the way that she had said that comment, you know, I can't place you by the way you look, I thought, you know what, these children that were so mean to me, they probably couldn't place me by the way I looked. And mm-hmm. I didn't look like them. I didn't act like them. And they just reacted that way because I was different. Yeah. So there was a little bit of healing, a little bit of emotional, but it was just mm-hmm. an interesting comment because I'd never really seen it much on appearance, mostly on accents or on names.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure, uh, many people listening can, um, connect with that in so many Mm. ways, especially when it comes to biracial, you know, uh, existence. Um, if you, you know, have one parent, my son, um, my son lives in this world. And so this stuff, you know, I mean, I get to hear it firsthand. Thank you for that. Um, but, yeah, well. he lives in the world. So it's, it's, it's important uh, for us to remember as parents that, you know, we, we made these decisions, they have implications. And so yeah. those are some things that may, may manifest with our children. And, and that goes, you know, I mean, not just cross-culturally, but or outside our passport countries, but within passport countries, of course, in melting pots, like the UK, the United States, you have multiracial couples. And so there's, There's these realities, you know, that take place.
1: It's so funny because like I've, I was in Switzerland and I was sitting in a park with our kids and there was another mom there and she started going on and on about Middle Eastern people. And I'm sitting there going, she has no idea that I'm half Middle Eastern. And um, I I was really mean because I let her go on for a bit. And then I said at the end, oh, well, you know, I'm half Middle Eastern. And she was so embarrassed. And I said, you know what, let that be a... I felt like saying, let that be a lesson to you. Yeah. Because you don't know who the person... And A, you shouldn't be saying that anyway. Mm. And B, you know, hello? Yeah. You're speaking about real people here. And you're speaking to people who have emotions and who have a stake in it and who are a part of this culture. So stop, you know, think before you talk. So... So she, I was, too, I was too white. I, right. I, I My mother, my mother's brown. My mom, my dad is white. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and she said, "Oh, she just made a huge assumption." Right. And it's just int- I part of me was like, "Well, there you go, it gives yeah. you a lesson on on judging people by yes. the color of their skin that they might not even be."
0: I've had similar. I had a man ranting and raving about how how filipinas you know the uh, ladies are gold diggers and they're worthless and this and that that and I, I did the same thing you did i just kind of sat there and listened and then i was like Mm-mm, yeah my, wife? my wife's filipino
1: mm-hmm.
0: he's just like oh
1: <laughs> yeah makes moment. them embarrassed and, you know, then huh
0: Well, let's talk about what you're doing now um because I think that's important. Yeah. Obviously you have uh, a lot going on. You're an author, you're a coach, speaker, you founded some organizational components <laughs> and events. Yeah. Uh you also have podcasts let the audience know uh you know yeah. who you are and what what how you represent our community. Yeah. Broader set,
1: set. Yeah. So one of the things I realized when I started um, joining the expat communities um, was that one of the top stresses for a spouse, for an accompanying spouse, is frequent business travel. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that in literature, I thought, "Oh my word!" You know, my husband has been doing this for like ten years. By that time, probably maybe more. And I was like, oh, and and it's so funny because he he went off, got his calendar, showed me all the dates he traveled in the last ten years, you know, because he's that organized. And he said it wasn't that much, and I'm like, uh, yeah, but there we just had a new baby, and that trip, oh yeah, I just, you know, we had illness in the family, like severe illness. Oh, and that trip, yeah, we just moved house, and that trip, we so it was never just a move, you know, it was never just a trip; it was always combined with the expatriation. Mm
0: -hmm, Yeah.
1: And. so when I was looking at this part and realizing that, the other part that was happening at the same time was Kabul. So he was we were in discussion on whether he would take a job in Kabul as head of uh, Swiss representation, mm-hmm. and I would stay in Switzerland with our boys. Mm-hmm. And I started asking questions, and that's when I started investigating families in split-family status, mm-hmm. which means that one parent is in one country and the other parent is in another country that's what you're living, right? Yes, that's my life. And so, and, and just realizing that families have very good reasons to do this. Usually it's, it's dual careers or like for you, you know, for your kids to stay in, in one place, kids' educations, staying close to elderly relatives, um, you know, health reasons, access to the country if it's a non-family duty station. So basically since then I've been researching, interviewing, I started a podcast I have one-on-one clients as well that I support, um, because for the person who's staying at home, if the person that person has the kids, usually that's one of the typical scenarios, and then the other parent is traveling back and forth from the location. Sometimes he's gone for you know three, four months, mm-hmm. and then comes back. It, it's a lot for the person that stays at home. It's a lot. Mm. and so i i really love doing one-on-ones and supporting people to try and say okay you know usually i tell people like you need to multiply the rest that you get how on earth are you going to get it Mm -hmm. so it's trying to figure out creative ways of, of of managing stress managing overload um helping that person also you know figure out what they want to do because it's very hard when your partner's not there. You're kind of a single parent, but you're not because you're still in a loving relationship. Yeah. So it's like you're trying to maintain a family unit uh, with distance involved. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and then I, I'm developing trying to see workshops and, and helping organizations see how important it is to support mm-hmm. these families as well, that it's also part of their duty of care. Mm-hmm. I would say for those that are for jobs where, for example, the family can't go. Then that that's even that's even more their duty of care. Mm-hmm. But I think in the larger realm, I think the you know there are so many packages for whole families who move. Yeah, uh, but the organisations don't realise how important it is for the for their staff that their family is okay back home. Right, and we're not talking about grandparents or extended family, although you know, and that's a big piece. But we're talking about. Wife, husband, yeah, wife children.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's that's, that's right. what I do. I have a podcast called "Holding the Fort Abroad" and just nice. just letting people know they're not alone. Some of the common challenges they have. Mm-hmm. It's not them that can't cope. There's there's some some major challenges in this life, but there's also some silver linings some opportunities families are doing this for a reason for the good of the family so how can we reduce the pitfalls you know in the struggle and increase the benefits for the family people can go to my website and download like there's a top tip sheet for living this life and um it's from all my resources
0: i will certainly put your your website in the show notes um and that will definitely be available there
1: yeah, and people All can right. connect with me on LinkedIn so that maybe I can beat Karina. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm only
1: kidding. Um, I mean,
0: I I haven't crunched the numbers. Uh, I've just you no, know, no, this... no.
1: You said it now. It's out I, there. I, that's it.
0: I have one more thing, mm. and that is uh, so we are as Americans. Um, you know, our my you know my passport country. <laughs> my yeah. passport country. Um we are about to celebrate our Thanksgiving holidays. They're coming up. And so I was just going to ask you one question. What what are you thankful for? Is this is kind of a dinner table thing we do.
1: Oh, my word, so much. I'm ha- I'm I'm thankful for the community I joined when I found Families in Global Transition, when I found all you guys.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Like meeting you recently it's mm-hmm. like yes this is being part of this community means that we could meet mm-hmm. and yep. it just enriches my life so much and it this is where I also feel at home